Welcome to She Said Homestead, the podcast that explores homesteading from a range of perspectives. We're Red, Sage, and Michaela, three homesteaders, each with unique experiences, properties, and future goals for our homesteads. We're discussing various homesteading topics, sharing our personal experiences as women working full-time who are managing homesteads as well, and shining a light on the stories of other inspiring homesteaders. Before we dive in, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy our podcast, please consider leaving a review. It really helps us grow and share these homesteading stories with even more people. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Today our topic is homestead never did I ever. Things we never expected to have to deal with on our homesteads. But first, let's chat about our week. Sage, do you want to start? Oh goodness. Yeah, I've had kind of a weird week. Uh, To start off, I went to the grocery store to do my normal weekly spiel and I was on my way home. It was not that late, but like pitch black out. And I saw a pair of eyes glaring back at me from the road. And at first I thought it was a bear because that's honestly pretty normal for around here. And then I got closer to it and I was like, no, it's not a bear. So I turned my brights on and it was a bull standing in the middle of the road around a curve on this dark mountain road. And so I stopped and I was like, oh, shoot, I should call somebody. And then I realized that I didn't have service where I was. So I had to go all the way to my house to connect to the Wi-Fi so that I could call somebody to ask at 8 p.m. on a Monday, hey, whose bull is in the middle of the road? Wait, who did you um, call? Because I don't know. Yeah, who do you call I called for that? my neighbors up the road, um, Steve and Angela. They've adopted me. I love them. They're the only reason that I've survived. <laughs> Uh, converting to rural life. So I called her. She didn't know, but she knew who to call, who would know. Um, and long story short, found the guy. It's the guy who sells me hay. So I knew who it was. Um, I texted him and said, hey, I'm going to go babysit your bull on the road so that no one just like runs into it. <sighs> That's my week. Um, <laughs> the story gets even longer, but it's just... It was. See, yeah, I'm thinking. Wild. I'm thinking you're calling like nine one one or something. That's why I asked. I'm like, who are who are you calling? Are you calling the bull? I'll be like, hey, why are you in the road? <laughs> Get out of the road, please. Just gotta gotta know who to know. Um, but yeah, the bull got home safely, no car accidents, Aww. and That's good. then I also bought bees. So that's been my car. <laughs> when do they Wait. come in? The bees come in early to mid-April. It's going to depend on the weather. So we'll see. And I'll go pick them up uh, from town. Okay. One, have you actually run into a bear there? Yes. Not with my yeah. car, but I've seen one. No, yeah. like, have you encountered a bear, like, being in your car at your, like, near your property? Yeah, it's like, you know how you're driving and you see a deer on the side of the road or in the road and you're like, oh, okay, go across. Um, That's what it's like here, but with black bears. Interesting. We don't have them. There's a reason I have very good electric fence set up. (laughs) (laughs) Red, how was your week? What did you do? My week has been good. This past weekend, I had this big craft fair which was a lot of fun very draining I've been completely brain dead the last two days recovering from that and as far as the farm I've had another case of bumblefoot I keep getting bumblefoot I think I finally figured out why we keep getting bumblefoot and so we've got to figure out how we can mitigate it now but other than that the farm has been pretty chill, and the past two days have been chill because I've been recovering from my heavy work weekend. So yeah, it's been a good week. Why do you think you're Michaela? getting bumblefoot? Because our driveway, we have a cement or yeah, like an asphalt driveway, and it's kind of central to the whole space. And what I've noticed is, like. You can, they can get bumblefoot. They like if they get like any sort of scratch on the bottom of their foot, and then they get into like mud or something. Then that's how they're going to get bumblefoot. 
And so I think they just keep walking across the pavement all day, like throughout the day, you know, they'll go like across the driveway to this one patch of shrubs that they like, and then they'll go up the driveway to get to the front yard and then they'll go back down the driveway and they kind of do that all day long. And I think that is giving them like little abrasions on their bottom of their feet and hmm. they're, they're ducks they're They like to get muddy. So then they get muddy or they get poop yeah. on them or whatever. And they get bumbled. So I think that's, what's causing it. Cause there's like literally no other way I can think of that. They would just keep getting it. So we're going to try yeah. to switch some things around infrastructure wise to keep them off of the pavement and see if a lot of it clears up so it's been a whole thing (laughs) thanks i've been worried about about our birds getting it because they're in that tiny space right now and like i've just been dumping hay and layers so that they're always dry because it gets so muddy in there so fast with the ducks and the chickens in there so that's why i was curious because ours are just in that tiny area right now while we finish the coop i have yet to deal with bumblefoot and i kept the i kept my chickens in what is typically the garden space over last winter and in the winter it got muddy and they were they had a decent space but i mean for 20 something chickens um you know 160 uh foot perimeter net it's not that huge of a space so I think I think Red's assessment of the driveway itself is, mm-hmm. you know, causing an issue. It's just more abrasive than what would typically be around. Um, I think you might be okay, but I'm I sure they appreciate so. the hay. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. My brother has chickens, and their run—they just have like a dirt run and a little coop, you know. And they, I mean, they let them out to free range pretty regularly, but otherwise, I mean, they're just on the dirt and they've never had a case of bumblefoot. So, but they have a gravel driveway. They don't have an asphalt driveway. So I really hope the issue is the asphalt. I really think if they were on grass, if, even if they were just, I mean, they're ducks, like they like to waddle around in mud all the time. They seek out yeah. the mud. I think that would be totally fine as long as they're not getting, like cuts and scratches on their feet. And I think they kind of, I've watched them just kind of like slide on the pavement too, because it's a little bit of an incline. So if they're just sliding on the pavement all day long, that's going to wear down their little, their little pads. So. I always get so concerned about our ducks the same way, like walking on our driveway and stuff like that too, because they're little the webs are so thin it worries me that they're like gonna cut yeah. them so I, I think that's probably a good good call but I've never dealt with bumblefoot but I've always heard that it's like when you keep them like their feet are wet for too long like consistently um with chickens mm-hmm. I don't know about ducks. there's no way to keep I don't know a duck out of water exactly without making them yeah. unhappy <laughs> exactly yeah so yeah. I mean yeah I could again we're gonna talk yeah, about like, keeping ducks out of water and what happens in a little bit. <laughs> How was your week, Kayla? Oh yeah. My week has been pretty chill, honestly. We have not been doing like anything at night because it gets dark at five. So we have approximately thirty minutes to like get the chickens fed and then be done for the evening. <laughs> We can't do anything right now. So we've been working on the coop in the dark with like the shop light type of thing. We got our coop run and closed the rest of the way. That was like success number one of the week. And then the other thing that we did that I remembered was we bottled our first hard cider ever. And Ooh, it all tasted good. Like, all of it. And we, we did half of it. So. Still have to do the other half tonight, but mine That's I had to water down a little bit so that it fit in my fermentation equipment. And I think I also got a slightly different um apple variety than you did. I got red delicious, which is typically for fresh eating. 
and it tastes like a very dry apple wine, which I'm good with, right? But it's not the, the hard cider that I was aiming for. Oh well. So we did we did flavored ones. We did four different flavors, and we did two different yeasts. Of, so of each one, so we have eight gallons worth. <laughs> it was a lot. Wow. Um, so we did we bottled up and tasted all of the flavors from one type of yeast, and. They're all so good. The only one that is like we needed to adjust is the the maple oat one we did is really, really alcoholic, but also you can't take <laughs> oh, the oat no. at all. <laughs> it's like hard to drink. It's it oh we geez. added sugar to it. We back sweetened them. Um and the maple came through a lot more once we did that, but you can't really taste the oat. So I think next time we're gonna toast the oats. But otherwise, they were all good. I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, cool. So, yeah, that was my two main things we did this week. Michaela, tell us about your never did I ever experience. Okay. You've been hoping for how long and you never expected this thing to happen. Tell us about that. Okay, so I guess... I've considered myself a homesteader for longer than we've actually been like fully homesteading. But if you consider like, since we've had this property, it has been just over a year and we got our first animals back in June, which are the ducks and the chickens. So I've only had them for about six months. Um, There's been a lot of fun stuff that's happened with them since then. And for the purpose of, this recording, I guess, the same way I referred to it in the YouTube video, I'm going to refer to it as a hot dog. <laughs> okay. I, I follow you. So tell us about this hot you get, dog. Do you get what I'm, get what I'm trying, to, trying to say? We're, we're picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay, so basically, with ducks... They need access to water at all times, which they say that for runner ducks, which are what we have. You don't need to do that. You don't need to give them a pool or a pond or whatever all the time. But I'm here to tell you that you do. Always give them water because it will cost you a lot of money if you don't. don't, Are they unhappy or is it a health thing if they don't have water? Well, their hot dogs get stuck out of their body because they don't have anything to retract them in. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's how this happened. Oh my gosh. So- <laughs> I'm so glad I don't have ducks. <laughs> it's interesting because we have we have like a little kiddie pool for them. And mm-hmm. sometimes they'll get in like the bigger water buckets that we have. But they definitely try to um mate. Get it on. They try to mate. Yes. That's the problem. They definitely try to mate when they're not in water, like pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. So this is really, this is really interesting. I've noticed. Okay. So our girls, did, so we have four female ducks and one male. Mm-hmm. And we just got the male as like a companion because we read in our research that it just made the girls happier to have a male to like protect them and like hang out with them and get it on with them. <laughs> And put the hot dog in the yeah. hot dog bun. Yeah, yeah, in the bun. Right. So, what I've noticed in that regard, Red, is our girls—they like to try and mate with each other outside of the pond or the pool. But okay, yes, Bill, okay. but Bill, he doesn't do it outside of the pool. He's—he only really does it inside. I've only seen him do it outside like once or twice. Um, okay. But yeah, so basically what happened, what we think happened is um, Taylor emptied their pool one time and we didn't realize at that point that they like needed it full time. And it was probably empty in the run for a day, maybe two. I didn't know it was empty. I didn't notice it. And we noticed that he had a little dangly do. His hot dog was hanging out. And I was like, oh, no, I got to put him in the water. And this has happened before. So, like, I put him in the water before, and you can literally hear it just go. 
Like, That's you can terrifying. hear it, so, like, go back into his body. So I did that, Ooh. and it didn't work. Like, I couldn't get it in. So we were giving him baths, Epsom salt baths, like, twice a day for a solid week. And it was, like, swollen where it wouldn't go in. And I was putting... um what is it's preparation h that's what somebody told me to put on it i was trying doing like the what is the is it iodine what is that what you put on like iodine iodine dip or something yeah Mm -hmm. so that's what to like sanitize it so like it was hanging outside of his body um i was putting that on it to try and make sure it didn't get infected because this is a very common thing that happens with ducks, apparently, is it gets infected, it literally dies off, and then after, like, a month, it will just fall off of their body, but you risk, like, gain green. So, after a solid week not of... so far to have ducks anymore. <laughs> I love them, but yeah, they're a lot of work. Um, yeah, so after, like, a week of doing that and not it not working... I'm, like, looking up YouTube videos, trying to figure out how to get this thing to go back inside of his body. Because it's, like, a solid inch. Or it was, like, two-ish inches hanging outside. And somebody in their YouTube video was, like, I just push it back in. So I'm, like, okay, I'm going to try it. I pushed it back in, and it just, like, pops right back out. So we ended up taking him to the vet. And it was going to be, like, a two-hour drive to a vet that would see it was like an avian specialist and then red sent us her vet information which is only a half hour away thankfully so we actually got to go there we took him in and they were like yeah this is dying it needs to come off this section of it he'll still be able to use the rest um (laughs) and they basically circumcised him is what we were calling it and then he had to live inside and we had to give him like three or four pills a day and a syringe worth of medicine. He loved that. <laughs> he had to be separated from his girls and it was about $2,000. So, things I never thought wow. I'd have to deal with. <laughs> Fun You're stuff. a better person than I am because if that duck were at my homestead, it would become dinner. <laughs> So many people said that to me, and I'm like, you know what? He's literally three pounds. Like, that that's not not any food. Yeah, yeah. the emotional damage might might be significant on that one. That's fair. Yeah. So that's that's my never did I ever. Yeah. I see. It's so wild to me too, because between the bumblefoot and then your story. I had ducks when I was a kid for like, I think we had them at our house for like a year or two. And then they went and lived at my grandmother's house for many years after that. And even in the, like in the time that we had them, we never had an issue. That's not a single issue that I have like now commonly heard from you, from myself and like from other homesteaders with their ducks. It's, it's wild. It's super wild to me. We're just the lucky ones. We're the chosen ones, <laughs> I guess. Man. Okay, so I do have a question. Okay. Was, how long, you may have already said this, how long did you have to keep him inside after the surgery? And like separate from everybody? I think, I think it was a total of almost two weeks. So, okay. yeah, we have the the little tractors that we made that are just kind of like three by six foot by two foot tall cages and that's what we had them in when we were when they were chicks and we actually built them as a cat tractor so we could bring our cats outside because they like to lay in the sun (laughs) so we have that in the basement and he just stayed in that basically the whole time and we'd let him out in the evening when we'd go out there so he could see the girls Mm -hmm. um because he was so lonely because you're not supposed to keep ducks by themselves um, that's actually illegal. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, really? Really? Yeah, you, um, it's illegal to sell ducks alone in every state, I think. Interesting. Like you can't legally sell one duck. You have to sell two ducks or more. 
what kind That's of awesome. police officer comes after you if i don't you do? know <laughs> i don't i don't think it's it's probably not enforced just like no other animal welfare yeah. is unfortunately enforced but yeah it's actually illegal to sell just one duck in i think every state i'm not 100% sure on that but i think it's every state if it's not every state it's every state besides any- like two what was that did you have any issues reintroducing him i know sometimes if you isolate a bird from a flock when you put them back they can get picked on no um i we if you open the basement door and he could hear them he would start quacking because he'd get excited because he missed them so basically if we just put him back in there with him like we'd put him back in there with them in the evening for a few minutes and just sit there with them so they could like socialize because they missed each other so much they'd all just surround him and they'd do like little the they'd peck each other and like doing little beak kisses and stuff they're just like surround him and they all got really loud i know it made me so sad because then i have to take him away but yeah it's for your own good no he's like i just want (laughs) to it's like i just want to make release the hot dog And then you you had to give him a syringe and then also two pills. Was it pretty easy to give him the pills, like with like his food or mealworms or something? Um. So when he would eat them with the mealworms, it was easy. <laughs> he didn't do that every time. Okay. He, I think I probably had to shove the pills down his mouth like five times, but every other time I just put mealworms in my hand and like we broke the pills up and he would just eat them. But there were a few times that you have to, like, literally hold his head, his whole, like, neck, and open Oof. his bill. It took it was a two-person job. Taylor had to hold him while I did this, and he would, like, projectile poop all over the place while we were doing it, too. It was really fun. So you have to, like, shove the pill down his throat and then take a syringe of water and shove that down his throat, too, because they have to have water to swallow. So, yeah, yeah it was a lot. Yeah, I-, I had to wake up, like, at, like, 6 a.m. when Taylor went to work in the morning so we could do it together because we had to do it every morning and every night we had to do three no it was one big pill and one little pill and then a syringe of antibiotic wow and i bet that stays full from now on i bet that is never dry (laughs) we have two now we're like we're not ever doing this again yeah 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 well, that was hopefully you learning that lesson kept some other people from needing to learn it. <laughs> yeah, now if you ever get ducks, well, sage. Cool, cool. Sage, how about you? What's your never did I ever? You know, there's a lot of them. <laughs> there, there's a lot between getting ruminants and having to stock hay for the winter and just all of these things that are totally brand new to me because I didn't grow up with any of this. But I think the biggest one is not being on city water and having a well, groundwater, be my source for water. I thought being a geologist, I was like, I can take care of a groundwater well. That's fine. I understand the general mechanisms behind it. Um, I was sorely mistaken. (laughs) (laughs) It became a serious issue on Christmas Day. If anybody lives in North Carolina, they probably remember that Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, we had such a cold winter storm come through. And it was negative five here. It's not usually that cold. And the well house or the pump house where all the equipment is and where all the pipes are was not insulated for negative five degree weather. And so the well froze. So it goes to my house and it goes to my neighbor's house. And honestly, the fact that it's shared was kind of a godsend because I don't know anything about repairing plumbing on Christmas morning when I have no water. (laughs) And so my neighbors, God bless them, (laughs) they're a young couple with a kid and her dad 
is handy. Her dad knows how to fix stuff. So we called him when the water was totally frozen and he had all the supplies because it's, again, it's Christmas. No store is open. We can't just go pick up PVC and whatever we need. We have to work with what we have. (laughs) And so he managed to scrounge up uh, one inch PVC and some elbows and a couple other random things that we needed to get this job done and uh, hauled all that equipment up here in his truck and sat in front of the well house and repaired it in horrible weather um, and finally got it functional. And then you would think that that's the end of the story, right? You would think, okay, great. Like, yeah, that sucked. But you're good now. So another thing that I learned (laughs) is that when you have a water heater and the source for water gets cut off, but the electricity stays on, you need to go find the switch for the water heater and switch it off. Because when water heaters can't fill up, and they're heating water, they're building steam pressure. And when the water finally kicked back on and it was able to refill, it overpressurized. But it's in my crawl space and I had no idea. Like, I wasn't seeing anything. I was just like, man, that's really weird. I haven't had hot water for a few hours. And my dad was here with me. He was like, no, it's fine. Just wait. Like, wait overnight. It'll be fine in the morning. And I'm like... I think we really need to go check it out. So at this point, it's like 10 p.m. Christmas Day. People are having Christmas dinner. They're with their families, whatever. And I open the crawl space door, and the water heater is like directly to the left. And it has flooded that end of my crawl space. <laughs> and because oh. I live in an old house that's jank, there were um there was an extension cord with something plugged in and it's sitting in the water and it's just it's a mess. And so I can't even get to the um switch for the well pump to turn the well off to cut off the water source because it's a shared well and it's at my neighbors. So I have to disturb their Christmas dinner, their family time to say, "Hey, <laughs> The debacle's not done. Can you please switch the well off, which cuts off their water again? Long story short, not short at all, they happen to have someone over there who used to work with water heaters and knew how to fix the issue and clear out all the air from the lines and everything else. That's some Christmas magic. I really Mm -hmm. hope that this Christmas is not like last Christmas. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Santa was looking out for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Apparently I'm on the naughty list. I would have preferred Cole. (laughs) So I remember remember that Christmas because, or like that day, that few days, because that was the like couple of days we moved into our house because the camper got moldy. And so our house doesn't have any heat in it. Like, there's no heating. Um, Well, we have, like, the oil furnace, but it doesn't work. Technically, it works, but everything would be sooty. So we don't use it, so we don't have any heating. So we have three space heaters, and we have literally a window or two that I had a packing tape shut because they were flopping in the wind because it was so windy and so cold. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. We didn't have water issues, I don't think, that day, but we did have our pipes freeze. But we have we have a well, but it doesn't work. So like we have city water. Um so thankfully I just couldn't do laundry for a couple days. <laughs> I can't I can't even imagine. Good thing your dad was there. This was Christmas yeah, of twenty. We were we were climbing down into the creek that's in front of my house, which is like on the side of the road, to to grab five gallon buckets, fill them. To water the animals, you know, it's good enough for that. It's it's actually pretty clean. I'm almost at the top of a mountain. Um, and also to flush the toilets, just like pour it into the back so you can actually like still live in the house for I I grew up doing that. We lived in the middle of nowhere, so that's not new to me, but not fun still. <laughs> Red, what were you gonna ask? 
Yeah. Is, oh, I was going to ask. This was Christmas of 2022, right? Yes. Like last Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, remember I've only Christmas. lived. I've only lived in this house um, since February of 2022. I haven't been here long at all. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, oh, I was going to ask with the crawl space flooding, what did, what were you able to do about that? That's like really difficult. Yeah. So thankfully it was the corner to which everything already drains anyway. So it wasn't, you know, flowing across the crawl space. Um, we just fixed the problem and the water dried up or flowed away underground um by itself after like a day so it's not anything that i had to actively mitigate but i did make sure to keep the door open and put a fence in front of it so no chickens crawled into my crawl space because that would be a whole other thing Um, but i i did make a point to air it out once it got warm enough that that wasn't going to cause more issues nice nice dang hey not only I'm not only new to like homesteading, but even just owning a house in general. I've <laughs> I've only ever rented and I've only ever lived in inside or directly next to major cities. So new wow. all around for me. New owning a home, new rural living, new farm, all of the stuff that goes along with a farm. That's a lot of new for you. It is a lot of new. That's kind of how I live my life, just very chaotically and <laughs> with blatant disregard to what I should do. So in general, with all of the newness, has it been a good new? Like any new is going to be hard. Any transition is going to be hard. But do you, after being there for like almost a, a year? Um, yeah, yes. like a, a year and a half, almost two years. Okay, almost two years. Yeah. So at this point, do you feel like, yes, I'm glad I did this. I love it. Or are you like, good Lord, what have I done? <laughs> or maybe no, I don't know. I think if I were to, the, the answer to that depends on the day. Because if I were to walk around the house and really tally up all the things that should, quote unquote, be done, um, that I should handle, I would get really overwhelmed. I choose not to do that. I will deal with issues as issues arise. Um, but in all, in all seriousness, I am so happy that I moved across the country uh, back home to the southeast. I love Colorado, which is where I was before. My plan was always to stay there for three to five years. To stay there for five, great. I was kind of ready, kind of ready to move back to the southeast. I am so glad that I bought a home for one. If I had waited any longer, there is absolutely no way that I could have afforded to do it in the market that it is. I didn't have help. I had my good credit score and what I could scrounge together for a deposit. Um, I'm not super well off by any means. Um, I'm grateful enough to have a good job and that people think it's reasonable to lend me the amount of money that it costs (laughs) to buy this house. Um, so absolutely don't regret that decision. And I definitely don't regret, um, deciding to start homesteading and shifting from living in a city to living out here and having animals. I was never allowed to have animals when I was a kid. And now I have like a (laughs) hundred and I love it. Okay. I have a follow-up question to that. So when you moved there, you weren't alone. Are you, are you slowly, like, have you adjusted again, I guess, now into your role as like a solo homesteader now that you're there alone? (laughs) Like, was that another transition? Like, are you comfortable in that now? More comfortable in that now? It kind of was a transition, but at the same time, not as much as you might think. And this is not at all to shade Antonio. So when I first moved out here, when I first started doing this, I was dating a man named Antonio. Great person. He didn't want a homestead, and that was a deal breaker. Um, it was always my idea. It was always me being the one to push it. it. It wasn't this joint idea. It was, we happened to be dating, and I happened to hit this point in my life where, for various reasons, and there are outside things too, like my mom got sick, um, and that pushed the timeline of it. 
but I was like, this is something that I have to do. And I don't expect you to do it with me. You are welcome to come along with me if you want to. Um, mm. And so I was always the one driving it. I was the one saying, hey, we should do ABCD. And of course, because we were in a respectful relationship, it was like, are you on board with that? <laughs> Here's your veto power. Um, I'm doing you know, that. But do you want to do it too? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it it wasn't ever totally 50 50 again not saying that to shade him i am not trying to shade him at all um because he was here for the first six months or so i was able to get things going faster than i ever would have been able to and i'm very grateful for that but it honestly was not a big shift and that's a shift that started before we even broke up he was really struggling with it um and i think hesitant to say hey i don't want to do this Um, And so I kind of made him step back a little bit and say, like, let me just take this over. You're stressed out. You go live your life. Let me handle the homesteading. And so it's kind of like you had like a trial period, I guess, sort of of like, okay, he's here if I really, really need help with like handling things still. But I need to see if I can do this by myself. Yeah. Because the situation might. I think the biggest. Yeah, the biggest thing is it's incredibly difficult for me to leave. When he was here, when he was living here, I could leave for a weekend to go see family and say like, hey, you just take care of it for two days. And that was totally fine. That's the biggest difference. Um, And he actually lived here for a few months after we broke up. It was all very amicable, which is (laughs) super weird. Oh, yeah. Um, So it was was a very very gradual decision. It seemed like it. That's why I'm not trying to like call him out or anything i'm just i was curious no, about not that. at all it is yeah. a unique thing to deal with right <laughs> yeah. no that's a another good never did i ever it is a never <laughs> never did i ever yeah uh, i like that insight that's and you're not the only person i know who had like a, a scenario like that where like it was very much their thing, not their partner's thing. And so like mm-hmm. the homestead was their thing. That's what they, you know, they were doing. Um, but yeah, super interesting. You've had a lot of change, a whole lot of change. <laughs> yeah, I think I prefer it that way. Just give it, give it to me all at once. I'll readjust and then I'll move <laughs> forward. I don't, I don't want to deal with drawn out. I am a sprinter. I am not a distance runner in every aspect okay. of my life. <laughs> gotcha. yeah. uh, cool. Red, how about you? What did you never expect to have to deal with? Well, as with y'all, there are a lot of things I never expected to have to deal with. I certainly did not expect to move my garden three different times in one year. I didn't expect to have to deal with bumblefoot so much. Like I just didn't think about the driveway being a thing at all. So I just like didn't sweat it. And here we are like dealing with bumblefoot. Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that. Same with like the home ownership stuff. Uh, we've been here for about a year and a half and um, I have never owned a home before. My husband has owned a home like before we were together. But, and I knew that homeownership was going to be hard. You know, it's so easy to call your landlord and they just fix a thing, right? If they are a good landlord. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff with homeownership I wasn't expecting. Um, we ended up having to dig out our crawl space or a portion of our crawl space. That was wild. Um, but honestly, the biggest thing as far as homesteading goes <laughs> is... Okay, so we have guinea fowl. <laughs> Michaela's laughing because she knows this story. <laughs> so we have guinea fowl. Guinea fowl are, they're like a little dinosaur looking bird. They're really wild. So, and they roam all over the place. You, you, and they fly, they like fly up onto our house. They fly up into the trees. They, they're wild. They cannot be tamed. Like you cannot keep them confined unless you were to like keep them in a fully enclosed run type of space which I'm not going to do the whole point of having guineas is I mean a they're fantastic and hilarious and I love them but they are really great at 
uh, taking care of ticks. And so since that is kind of their function at the homestead, I want them to roam. I want them to go get all of the ticks everywhere. So they roam. Uh, we live on a fairly uh, busy road. Um, it's like a little country road, but still there, it's a, it's a pavement sort of road, double yellow line. Um, and they like to hang out in the road sometimes. And so I knew, I knew when we got them because of all of these different dynamics that we were most likely going to lose a few to the road. We definitely did. How many did you have? We started with six and we're down to four. We've lost two to the road so far. So the first one that we lost to the road, um, actually, okay, this is another thing I didn't expect. (laughs) I had one, I saw one was hit. It was like on the side of the road in our, in our yard. I saw he was hit. And so I went over to see what was up. I thought he was dead. I just figured he's lying on the ground. He clearly got hit. Surely he's dead. He was not dead. That is something I didn't consider with homesteading is like, whether it's a predator or a car or like any sort of situation like that, I never considered the possibility that something could get injured but not be dead. Like, I guess I kind of assumed like, okay, if a coyote gets into the run, it's going to maim and kill everything, not necessarily injure but leave alive. Same with a car, like surely they're a small bird. If it gets hit, it's just going to die. Well, this yeah. one didn't. And I I was able to carry him to like a quiet spot, but they're wild. Like I, there's no taking this animal to the vet. That's simply not going to happen. So that's an interesting dynamic. And it's not something I've fully worked out yet. Like if we were to have a predator injure an animal, but not kill it, if I was in a position where I could not get it to the vet like a guinea, then I've got to figure out something to do in order to end its life in a humane way. So that's something interesting that I haven't fully worked out that I wasn't expecting. However, that was not the only thing. So that happened well, and actually... Happened in- well, you're right. I should finish my first story. <laughs> he like laid down for a while and then he eventually like got up and kind of was walking around I I put him in the run for a few days and he just slowly I just kept an eye on him and he slowly but surely got better and for a long time I could tell him apart because his feathers were kind of messed up um we decided to call him roadkill or rk for short he is still alive to my knowledge but it's hard to tell them apart Um, so he just got better on his own, which was very cool. Um, so that happened. We ended up losing a guinea, like fully dead, lost him to the road. Maybe it was RK or maybe it was a different one. I'm not sure. But, um, with that one, I took him out and I buried him, um, kind of out in the field. But as I was doing that, I was thinking to myself, is this the best way, like in a, from a permaculture standpoint, is this the best way of handling a dead animal? We have about an acre of woods behind our house. It's like way kind of off the beaten path. And so I thought maybe it makes more sense to put an animal in the woods and let sort of nature take its course, whether that's, you know, it decomposes and goes back into the ground or gets eaten by another animal is it more helpful for another animal to be able to eat that you know that dead animal that i have or does it make more sense for it to be buried so i decided that i would give it a try next time i would put um the next animal that passed away i would put it out in the woods and let it just you know just like it would in nature you know if an animal died it wouldn't get buried it would just be on the ground and something would eat it or it would decompose Mm -hmm. so sure enough a couple months later we had another guinea get hit by a car and was and was dead so i decided to try it this time so i i took her out into the woods 
found a nice little space for her and I just laid her there and let it be. What I didn't expect, I did expect that it would most likely attract some sort of a predator, you know, whether it was like a local coyote or a fox or some vultures or like something, I I assumed something would eat her or at least Mm -hmm. partially eat her. Um, That was totally fine. Like we have lots of those things around. It's okay. Uh, You know, we just live with them. We coexist, if you will. But what I didn't expect is that the predator who would find her would be my own dog. And I was, I don't even remember what I was doing. I was just like doing farm chores one day, pulling in the garden. And all of a sudden, my, okay, to give a little bit of context here, we don't have a fence. Um, We don't have like a backyard fence or even a perimeter fence, anything like that yet. And our dog is very good. She's very well behaved and she does not go outside of our property. I don't know how I was able to train her to do this. Somehow, lucky enough that we were able to train her to do this so when she's out with me I just don't really pay that much attention to her you know she'll kind of come and go and do as she pleases and it's totally fine so I see her run up and she's all happy and everything and she's got something in her mouth totally normal she often will go get sticks or whatever is out in the field well she found something she found something and it looked like beef jerky oh and i know by the shape it was a piece of the guinea that i had just put out into the woods she's just interested in permaculture too she's just playing her role you're totally right you're totally right she's like this is my role on the homestead like this was your whole original plan i'm just helping out with it so yeah goodness okay wait okay just to clarify how many how long before she got it out of the woods did you put it out there Mm, that's a good question it was because if it looked like beef jerky i feel like it had to have been at least a couple days right (laughs) yeah i would say like five to seven days it was almost a week it was definitely long enough because i kept an eye on her for a few days i kept her really close Because I knew that, like, if I let her go too far, then she could definitely find the guinea. But she was on the behavior. Yeah, and I just at that point I wasn't thinking about it, and yeah. So has that changed how you're going to um, handle animal deaths in the future? Probably, yeah. (laughs) I really don't want to have to dig a bunch of graves. I don't want to have to do that. But I, I mean, obviously for a larger animal, like I think that would absolutely be necessary unless there's, you know, look into like cremation or something like that. With smaller animals like that, I, it does make sense to me to just put them out into nature. However, I, no, no. I'm absolutely going to bury them from now on. I don't want to have to deal with that again. And like the guinea who passed away, like it's hard to tell the guineas apart. Sometimes we definitely could tell her apart because she was the only girl. And even though they are wild and I don't have like an emotional connection to them in the same way that I do say our geese, you know, who are very friendly and very affectionate with us. It still was like, Oh man, like that sucks. I didn't want to have to handle that body again. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. yeah, that's hard. I've had to put down a chicken who had a prolapsed vent and tried to keep her separate, tried to help her out and heal her and push it back in and do all the things that you're supposed to do. But sometimes they just don't recover from it. And the options cool. are, you know, wait wait for it to suffer and for nature to take its course or to euthanize it and so i had to 
Antonio had to, that's when he was still around. Antonio had to euthanize it. And what I've started to do is to plant the chickens that I lose next mm-hmm. to a fruit tree that I've planted um, so that it fertilizes. And then it, it also is sort of a memento, you know, a way to remember them and in in my perspective, honor them and yeah, put them back into the system somehow um, respectfully. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic with agriculture. Like, you, I'm wanting to create an ecosystem, but part of the dynamic is that I am part of the ecosystem and these animals are part of the ecosystem. And my job is to facilitate those things. And if it's not just happening naturally i mean getting hit by a car is not a natural cause right then like yeah like you were saying like how do you how do you honor the animal and do good to the earth at the same time i like that idea of planting what were you gonna say michaela um i was gonna ask so i don't know a ton about guineas we've kind of looked into them a little bit but I know that they fly. So do you think that you would get more in the future, even though you've been dealing with all of this stuff? Or like, if you, if you had to get them again, would you? Yes, I would. Yeah. Would definitely okay. like to get more and I would definitely get them again. I knew that all of these things were possible. Like these, these, I knew enough about them to know that all of these things that have been happening, specifically just them like getting in the road or like going to our neighbor's house, you know, they go mm-hmm. and like, you know, around our neighbor's property too. Um, I, I just remember that was something. A oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. I have to tell a quick story. So I was in oh my, my, one of my best friend's wedding back in October and they had it at their parents' property. And they have like a pond and they live in like a subdivision, but they all have like a few acres. So it's like a really fancy subdivision. (laughs) Um, And their neighbor has a really, really large tom, turkey and guineas. And they showed up for the wedding and they stayed the whole wedding. And they made their noises the whole time. (laughs) Speaking of going to neighbor's houses. Was it a crowd that would appreciate that or was it a crowd that wanted it gone? The turkey literally walked down the steps to the aisle with me. <gasps> it was hilarious. Like, it, everybody enjoyed it. That's crazy. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. You reminded me of that when you said the neighbors, they go to the neighbors, because yeah. I've heard that they do that. Yeah. Like, they they do. might just choose a different home nearby. <laughs> yeah. And I think with, with us, like, I mean, we live we're pretty close to the road and we're pretty close to our neighbors, but they, they roam enough that you would have to have a lot of land and be very remote in order for that to not be an issue. So I don't think, I don't think that being on a road or being near your neighbors, as long as your neighbors are, are cool with it, and if they're cool with you having geese, if they're cool with you having chickens, any any animal that has like a loud call or has the potential to get out and just like hang around, um, if they're cool with any of that, then it's t- I think it's totally fine to have to have guineas. Um, Even if you, you guys ever... put up a fence, that probably wouldn't deter no. them from going in the road either. So. No, it might slow them down a little bit, um, but they fly on top of our roof. They fly into the trees. <laughs> they can definitely fly over a fence. So, yeah. Do you ever get nervous about the guineas roaming into other people's properties and interacting with their poultry and then potentially bringing something back to your poultry? Ooh, that's a good question. And... She does now. Did I give you a new fear? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, okay. To my knowledge, guineas are pretty hardy. I can't imagine that they would have much to catch. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that's just something that 
comes along with guineas. Like if you're if you're gonna get guineas, unless you, I mean, literally, unless you live in like fifty to in the middle of fifty to hundred acres. I mean, they they roam a very long way. Um, or they can. Ours don't really roam that much anymore. Actually, they did for a few months. They they would like go up into our neighbors yards and fields and all of that stuff and they did go into my neighbor's yard and um just kind of check out their chickens they're pretty shy animals they're they're not like they're not gonna like start a fight or or anything like that they're gonna kind of check things out but kind of but keep their distance um in my experience anyways so i don't think i worry about that too much and they don't really roam that far anymore they like to stay closer to the house as they've gotten older um i've heard that they do that like they roam less if you train them to a coop or like a little house or whatever when they're Mm -hmm. younger they like will roam but then that's like their home base do you guys keep them in there at nighttime or do they roam all the time that's what i've heard that you should do you don't want them to roam forever Yes. So what we did was for the first three months of their life, which they get like, they get pretty big, like they're like basically full grown by the time they're three months old. Um, They grow really fast. But we kept them in a a tractor and just sort of moved it around our yard area um, for the first three months. (laughs) And we also we would like put them in a little bin and move them to the secure coop and then in the daytime we would move them in the little bin out to the tractor it was not something i would recommend doing it was a pain in the butt to do this and they did not like it we did not like it it was not a fun time but it was something that we had to do because the the tractor was not secure enough for me to feel good about leaving them in there at night um but anyways, we did that. We just kept them fully confined for three months. And then after that, we started letting them out during the day. And we would like herd them back into the coop and the run situation, which is fully enclosed, like top to bottom. Um, we would do that at night. We gave them like a roosting bar in the sort of run coop area because um, they like a pretty high natural roosting bar. Um, so they had everything they needed that was where they ate and drank and like you know all of that sort of stuff but i will say it got pretty difficult to like herd them and get them back into the run they started wanting like clearly wanting to go and roost in the tree that's right next to the run um so the branches kind of hang over it um and so eventually we just stopped trying we were just like you know what Y'all are going to be fine. If an owl eats you, I'm sorry, but that's where they're happiest. And it's actually really cute. Like our coop and run areas is in one spot. And then they've got this, like, I think it's a plum tree that sort of sits above it. And um, they jump onto the roof of the run and run back and forth across it in the evenings. And then eventually they end up on in the tree. And so our, we've got our like chickens do the same thing. Say what? Our chickens do the exact same thing. They they oh. like to. We have a cedar tree that has a lot of big branches right above <laughs> their current mini run that they're in. So they'll get on the roof of that, and then they hop into the branches. And we have to literally, we've had to hose them out of the tree so many times. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <That's, yes. laughs> trees. I don't know. I don't know what y'all are doing. <laughs> um guineas seem so big are owls really their natural predators that's just what i've heard from somebody from one person who had guineas he said that he had guineas and they would sleep in the tree and it seemed totally fine and then eventually an owl just would like pick them off one by one i assume it's an owl because it would happen at night and so he would like wake up the next day and one guinea would be gone. And then a little while later, another guinea would be gone at nighttime. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless I guess it's definitely possible that some other nocturnal predator could have carried one off that 
one that can climb a tree perhaps um but i agree with you i mean they're the size of like a fairly large chicken you know so like a standard chicken i suppose um i don't know i want to meet them yeah they're funny i know they won't be my friends but i still want to meet them (laughs) (laughs) they you can do it your feet and stuff like that like at your clothes and they'll follow (laughs) you around i was not very good at handling my chickens when they were chicks so none of my chickens really with maybe one or two exceptions will let you pick them up and hold them and pet them which is regrettable but it's always next year yeah ours um we had to we did the same exact thing that red did we had to bring them they were in our basement for like the first couple months so we had to bring them in and out every single day twice a day at least and yep. i still so we have them in their ibc tote uh little coops right now and they like to sit on top of them so at night we still have to pluck them off of there and put them into their ibc totes at least like 10 of them every night so they get yes. handled a lot and we we let them out and like let them free range so a lot of the time we have to catch them and put them back in there so they're very well handled not that they enjoy yes. it still but <laughs> against we've their had... will yeah. we've had to tofu do that liked it. oh really <laughs> yeah she likes to be held yeah i always scratch her chin right here and she just she'll follow me around and just like stand near me and just kind of look at me and then if i pick her up she like falls asleep do the thing <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a few of them that like it. Tofu, raisin, and pebbles is pretty used to it. But the rest of them are like, please don't touch me. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I can't blame them. They're birds. Red, do you name your poultry? Or do you just, are they just around? Um, kind of. So our geese are, are individually named because we can tell them apart. One of our ducks is individually named because we can tell her apart. Um, our Drake, we can tell him apart. And so he he's named. The other ducks, though, we have two Cayuga girls and two Pekin girls. And I can't tell them apart to save my life. So they're the Bettys. The Guineas, because we had one girl and five boys, and the girl was significantly more animated and dramatic than the others. We originally called them Little Drama and the Peepers, like they were a band. <laughs> but now, since Little Drama has passed away, we just call them the boys. So, yeah. Do so they're, have they're, names, they're... It depends. So, I have... Chickens that I got last year, I have chickens that I got this year, and then I have two turkeys left. So okay. the turkeys, because you call the female turkey a Jenny, that's her name, mm-hmm. and because you call the uh, male Tom, that's his name. Uh, nice. That's just sort super, of like... Super creative. <laughs> and the chickens that I got the first year that I was here... I did make a point to name those, but similar to you, Red, like the wine dots, I can't tell apart except for one because she's a runt. Her name's Lil Bit. Oh, um, the Whiting True Greens, I can't tell apart. They don't have names. The Whiting True Blues, because they have individual expressions of, they all look different. Uh, mm-hmm. They have names. And then there's just random ones that I don't even remember why I kept. I think I kept some of my initial red birds and they had names, but I don't remember where they are. How many do you have, like, roughly? Like, layers, I guess. That's a great great question. Um, (laughs) I don't know the answer to that. I think from last year, I have about 12 left. And then I got Mm -hmm. an order... Of 18 this year, I sold a couple, a snake got one, so I have 14 of those left, and one is a rooster, so they'll be gone sooner than later, too. Whatever that number is, that's how many I have. Interesting. We have, okay, so we have 16 chickens and five ducks, and 
I know all of their names except for four because the four look the same. So they're all mango. (laughs) But I can name every single one. They're all like super unique. Otherwise, like tofu is our only grayish white one. And then the only other ones I have a hard time with are are cuckoo morans, cuckoo morans. Mm -hmm. Um, They're all like just three black chickens, but they have different beak like patterns so if i look at them close i can tell who they are but if they're just walking around we just call them the peas because they're petunia pesto and pebbles <laughs> but otherwise i like i know everybody's name the ones that i can't tell apart are the bielefelders and they all look exactly the same so we just call yeah. them all mango but they are mango marmalade bok choy and blossom <laughs> but they're all mango yeah as well this year, I got the Cocumarans like you did because McMurray was out of the French Crapper Morans. You couldn't order them. I couldn't mm-hmm. get them this year either. Um, this year for I next still year. Still want them? Confusing. <laughs> I know they're so pretty. Maybe maybe next year, next next November during the pre order. You get uh, some. But I got those Morans. <laughs> Um, I got speckled Sussex and I got the wine dots that I actually wanted that I couldn't get the year previous, which is the blue laced red wine dots. They're so pretty. Mm-hmm. And so I can't tell any of those apart within their breed. So they don't have names. I haven't named them yet. You can name them They're when you chicken. when you come over to help me with the projects if you want. <laughs> I will. I will name them. I have backup names for all of ours. Because we we named ours before we got them, and then we ended up having three roosters, um, which we were only supposed to have one. So that's it for our chat today. Just sharing stories about things on our homesteads that we never thought we would have to deal with or encounter or handle. We would love to hear your stories about this similar topic. So head over to our Instagram and. Uh, say in the comments or shoot us a a message about a story that you have of something that you never thought you would have to deal with or handle on your homestead. Also, since we've talked about it so much, I want to know if anybody else out there names all of their birds and all of their animals on their homesteads. Uh, I know that not everybody does. I'm just curious if there are other people like us who have a tendency of naming all of their animals. Thanks for joining us on this episode of She Said Homestead. We hope you enjoyed our chat. Before we say goodbye, we'd love to hear from you. Send your homesteading stories to us at shesaidhomestead at gmail.com. We can't wait to share them on the air. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram for updates and sneak peeks at what's coming up next. If you like video podcasts, make sure to subscribe to the She Said Homestead YouTube channel too. We can't thank you enough for being part of the She Said Homestead community. Until next time, happy homesteading.